Hello, welcome to the Positive Posting Conversation, the show about how to have a better relationship with your dog and cat. I'm Zazie Todd, author of the books Wag and Purr and creator of Companion Animal Psychology blog. My co-host Christy Benson is a dog trainer and anthropologist and she also works for the Academy for Dog Trainers. We don't give advice on your pet, so if you have concerns, see your veterinarian, dog trainer or cat behaviourist as appropriate. Thanks for joining us today. In episode six, we chat with Erica Beckwith of A Matter of Manners Dog Training. We learn about the benefits of tricks training for both dogs and cats, which tricks are Erica's favourites, and get some tips on how to take a selfie with your dog. Plus, we chat about the books we're reading. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Positive Post in Conversation. I'm Zazie Todd, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and colleague, Christy Benson. And today, I'm very excited because we're joined by special guest, Erica Beckwith of A Matter of Manners Dog Training in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Erica is an amazing positive reinforcement trainer who first got into dogs as a volunteer at Busan Abandoned Pet Sanctuary in South Korea. After moving back to America, Erica studied at the prestigious Academy for Dog Trainers, where she got her CTC. Erica is also a CBCCKA and a Fear Free Certified Professional. Erica loves cats too, and earlier this year she graduated with a certificate in Advanced Feline Behaviour for Cat Professionals with Distinction from International Cat Care. Erica loves teaching tricks, and Christy and I both absolutely love the videos she shares of her cute dogs doing lots of tricks. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you. I am really excited to be here. I could talk about tricks all day long, so get ready. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. We're super excited that you're joining us. So first of all, how did you get into tricks training? It's kind of funny, actually. I was um, My dog, Miles, was actually our first. He was a foster dog initially from Busan Abandoned Pet Sanctuary. Um, And all I knew back then was you know, coercive type things to get him to stop doing behaviors or whatever. And so it wasn't very fun to treat him that way. He was just a puppy. And, and, but I was, I liked training. So I was doing a lot of stuff with him somehow. I don't really know how it happened. I came across Emily Larlam um, and her progressive pet training and progressive dog training, you know, mantras and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh, that looks pretty fun. And she is a fabulous trick trainer. And so I started just kind of watching her videos and doing that stuff with miles. Um, and that's how I first actually got into training at all was through her. Um, when I told her that I cried and made her very uncomfortable. So, (laughs) (laughs) and, um, and so then when I came back to America, I started working at the shelter in behavior and then kind of just got lucky at the lead behavior person was an academy graduate and just said, Hey, this is something, if you want to become certified, you might want to do, I did want to do that. And, um, it, it all started from there, but I think because my first kind of intro into positive reinforcement training was Emily Larlam of Kiko pup, um, that really sparked tricks for me. And also the fact that my dog miles is a pro and loves it and can do anything. And that helps a lot. That's awesome. And I love watching him do the tricks. Like he's so cute and so perfect. (laughs) It's wonderful. He's very good. Yeah, I guess one of the things that, you know, when we were um, inviting you to come speak with us is that is I just started thinking about how many tricks you actually train and how often you train your dogs. And I know for the Academy, when we have our like video compilation, you know, you always go all out and you get like costumes and you do the, like the trick training. And I'm just like, oh, I'll just get a video of my dogs on a walk or something like, so I'm like, I just, I want to know what motivates you. Like, how do you like work yourself out? Or or maybe it's just enjoyable. So I guess like what is motivating you to do all this training with your dogs is my question. 
That is a good question. And I think probably you could tell from all of what you just said that I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, obsessive personality. (laughs) So I am a little bit of a stage mom as well when it comes to my training things. (laughs) Um, So I, yeah, it is just enjoyable for me. I like to do stuff with my dogs. That makes me laugh. I think like sometimes I just have something in my head, like, wouldn't it be funny if my dogs did leg weaves with each other? And so then I'm like, well, let's see. And then I get up and do it and it's funny. And then wouldn't it be funny if my dogs played basketball together and then get up and do it. And it's so funny and not just that, but they love it. They love to spend that kind of time together with me, together with each other, getting tons of treats, doing physical stuff. Um, And it's great exercise too. So on one side, on the one hand, I just love it. It's super fun. Sometimes if I'm feeling lazy or bored or whatever, I just kind of get up, grab treats, sit down and let's do something. Oftentimes at this point, my dogs make up their own tricks, which is super fun. Um, So that makes it fun. On the other side of it too, is that I actually have a lot of anxiety about my dogs. It kind of shows up with my dog's safety on walks. Um, So if I'm feeling really anxious that day and I have all these terrible thoughts about what probably in my mind will definitely happen to them if we go on a walk, then I'm not going to go on a walk. So I just do tricks instead and we make it super fun. And that's actually really good exercise physically, mentally. And then I don't deal with oh my God, they're definitely going to die right now at this moment for whatever reason that's not happening. So it's really fun. It's just a great bonding experience. They love it. I love it. Was it fun for you right from the start or did did it require sort of a level of proficiency? Like once you got good enough to train easily or did you just love it right from the get-go even though you were a beginner? I think both. I think I loved it. Although I did get frustrated easily if I couldn't figure it out. So the better I got as a trainer, the more I enjoyed it as well. But what happened is the better I got as a trainer. Also, my dogs were becoming more proficient at reading cues and all that kind of stuff. So we kind of grew together. And um, yeah, so I think both. I think I really did enjoy it from the start. But now I I can I don't get as frustrated as fast as I used to because I know more. Yeah. So you've talked a bit about what motivates you to teach your own dog's tricks, but you also now uh, have classes, including online classes, so that anyone can come and learn to do tricks with you. What are the benefits of learning tricks for both dogs and their guardians? I think they're multiple. I think there are so many. Um, One of them is that, as you know, the more you teach a dog or cat, the more or the easier it is for them to pick up new behaviors. So the more a dog trains, then, you know, they kind of get into the patterns of learning and the games and the how it works, how luring works, how reinforcement works. They, They learn all of that stuff. So the more tricks you train, the easier it is to teach them stuff that's more important to you. So um, I think it's really, really good for dogs to do just really fun, random tricks, five, 10 minutes a day, because then you need to teach them something that maybe is a life-saving skill. They can pick it up so much faster. It's not quite as difficult. The other side is it's so fun. And so I really, um, I just want in whatever people are doing with their dogs, I want people to have so much fun teaching their dogs and learning together. I don't want it to be about I'm teaching you and I'm doing this to you. I really want it to be this partnership, which tricks, so many of the tricks have to be a partnership. I mean, sure, you can force a dog to do tricks too, but a lot of the tricks I like to teach, you have to work in partnership with your dog. And so I love for people to learn how to do that in something that's not quite as what they might consider important as, you know, behaviors, life-saving skills, they might say. So I really like people to do 
tricks that can help bond with their dog. They help their dog learn faster, learn more things. Um, and it's just fun. It's not as much pressure as teaching a recall away from wildlife or something. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's more relaxing as well to focus on something like a trick where you don't really mind if they don't get it instantly. Whereas like for the recall, you, you probably do care quite a lot about how quickly your dog is going to start coming back to you. Yeah, I yes, that's right. And I also think it's good too, because if your dog doesn't do a lot of training or if they've done a lot of training in the past where they've gotten in trouble for stuff that's, you know, offering new behaviors, I would really like people to do trick training where their dog learns that offering behaviors is really good. It's okay. It's fun. It's safe. And again, like you said, in a low pressure environment, in we're, we're not doing this out in something that's like life or death training. We're doing this at home. It's super fun. It's low pressure and teaching the dog. Yeah. Offer a behavior. I'll pay you for it, whatever it is. So I really like kind of free shaping stuff like that, where I just sit down and my dogs just offer a behavior and I go, okay, great. That's what we're doing today. And then they do it again. Great. That's what we're doing. And so it's really good and fun and healthy to watch dogs go from, I, I don't want to offer anything because it might be scary for me, or I don't know what it will get me to a dog who goes, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Does it make it harder in the future to learn precise tricks? Okay, sure. It's somewhat hard to teach Miles to do slow, precise tricks now because he wants to throw out a hundred tricks in a second. But I love that. I think that's really healthy. Yeah, I love it when a dog does that too. <laughs> it's for a fun time with your dogs. Yeah. If you like watching dogs, and I think pretty much that would describe all of us and probably most of Zazie's audience. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so you teach a bunch of online tricks classes, um, which I'm I am absolutely going to take one of these times, maybe with my new puppy Archer. <laughs> I won't be able to focus. I won't be able to do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> neither will I, probably, <laughs> and probably Archer. Uh, so you know, you have like peekaboo and sit pretty, and then chorus line kicking. And we were just wondering what what's your favorite trick to teach other people. Not to do with your dogs, but what do you like teaching other people? That is really, I've thought a lot about this because this is a really hard one because I have so many favorites, but I think what I've decided, what I've come down to is I really like teaching tricks to people that are really physically flashy. They're super physically cute that a dog does, but they're fairly easily learned. They're kind of fairly easily taught um, because that, I also like tricks that because they're flashy, because they're fast, it makes people giggle. It makes people smile. It also makes people really fall in love with their dog more and go, Oh my God, my dog is so smart. I can't believe they can do that in 10 minutes in an hour or whatever. They're already doing this really silly looking trick. Um, and I also like tricks that allow for a little creative room that the dog can add their own flair because then we can watch. And I, I love that. I love when I say to people, just let the dog, let's see what the dog does next. Let's see what kind of stuff they add onto it. Because then somebody's play dead can look so different from somebody else's play dead, where this dog does this dramatic entrance into the death. And this dog does a full rollover tongue lolling out. And it's really fun to let a dog be a little bit creative. So I think play dead is one of my favorites because it's easy. Um, it's easier than people think. Usually a lot of the time it's cute. And again, dogs can kind of come up with their own silliness, their own flares in that. Um, I, I like take a selfie with me. I know we're, um, I'm actually going to offer that class coming up here soon, but take a selfie is so cute. I like a trick that also allows like a lot of physical contact because people love to be physically in connection with their dog. So take a selfie, 
super cute, a little bit easier than people think for most dogs. And I think it's a, again, it allows for dogs to kind of create their own type of selfie trick. Um, say your prayers. I love say your prayers. It is so cute. It's ridiculous when the dog is peeking their little head up. And again, it's one of those that makes people like, Oh my God, my dog is so cute. And they're the smartest dog in the whole world. They can do anything. They just learned that in 15 minutes, really fun. When people just light up, the dog lights up and they love their dog so much more. I love that. I also like the mirror. Look at me. Um, I don't, it's not really a name, the mirror trick. So it's a freestyle trick where the dog sits you're back to back with your dog and you look over your right shoulder. They look over, you look over your left. They look over. It's that mirror image trick. Super, super cute. And again, somewhat easy to teach if you know the, how to do it. And it's just flashy. Yeah. I like those. That sounds so cute. And I, I, I want to go back to the selfie quest class because I noticed that you teach a class on how to do a selfie with your dog and I want to ask for some tips because my dog he is very cute he does not like selfies he actually doesn't really like to have his photo taken if I get my phone out and point it at him he's he even now he's still a little bit like oh I don't know what's happening he's got much better at it because he knows that a treat will be coming but he's still a bit shy a bit camera shy and in his case it, it doesn't help that he's a senior and we know that he has some cognitive dysfunction so he's also a bit of a slow learner unfortunately but he is very very motivated by food so if he knows there's food in it he is very keen to find out how he is going to get that food so I wanted I mean I'm probably going to sign up for your class next time you run it because it sounds like so much fun Um, but what are your tips for taking a selfie with your dog I have a few. Um, So I think what you kind of mentioned alluded to is also really important about tricks in that they're confidence boosters too. Um, So you can, you know, you can teach him to do a trick while also teaching to be comfortable getting his picture taken. Those things can happen in conjunction and it's really fun to see that. So um, the first thing I like to do, so there, I think you've got a small guy, right? Pepper is a little guy. (laughs) It's, there are some modifications you can make depending on the size of the dog. So for little dogs, what I really like to do is to first teach them to kind of perch somewhere. So lay down on the couch or bed or a chair or something, and then you're just going to sit directly in front of it. So that kind of goes to my first point is just kind of consider, always consider the dog's physical comfort and needs. What does the dog physically need to do to do the trick? And is it comfortable for them to do that at the height you're at or whatever trick you're teaching. So if your dog is bigger, maybe you need to kneel a bit higher for them to comfortably perch on their, you know, their paws on your shoulder, or maybe they're a medium sized dog. Maybe you have to sit all the way on the floor for them to comfortably do that. So it's not all about the dog. A lot of it is about us and positioning ourselves correctly. Also considering the environment, are they going to slip around on the floor or not? So for little dogs, I like to get them perching up there, sit in front, and then just literally start by just luring them onto your shoulder. It doesn't have to look pretty or fancy to start with. I just like to, so we're talking about a little dog now sitting behind you. I just like to lure them over one or two paws touching your shoulder. That's enough. I don't add a phone into it until way later. I don't add duration or phones actually coming out until much later until the dog can actually perch on your shoulder in whatever capacity that means for that dog. Then I start adding a fake phone, then a little more duration, looking at the camera together. Then you can add the phone into it. And by that point, the dog's like, whatever, this is the easiest, coolest thing ever. I can perch up here all day long because it's treats all the time. So adding the phone much later into it is good. But another thing too to consider is 
does the dog understand luring? Not just your dog, any dog. Before we start asking for these complex tricks, does the dog understand to follow a lure in all these different motions and all these different ways? Does the dog understand to follow the lure until you've marked it? That's another thing too, is the more you train, the more a dog goes, well, I'm not going to stop offering behaviors until she marks it. Then whatever she's marked with a clicker or saying, yes, verbal marker, whatever she's marked, I'm going to do that again. So if a dog's never done any training, then let's start with just teaching them about luring. Let's start with charging up a clicker or charging up a verbal marker of some kind and doing some out of context stuff before we try to put some complex behaviors into it. Fantastic. Thank you. I'll be using those tips <laughs> for sure. Oh, I did an introduction question that we didn't prepare you for. So apologies for throwing under the bus, but I'm curious about if you have a trick idea that you want, like I'm assuming if I think back to when, when you trained um, your dogs for that, it was like that thir- 1930s swing music video. And, and so you trained, I f- I'm momentarily forgetting your little female's name. Ruckus. Ruckus. You trained Ruckus to go and put her nose up onto a trumpet that was being held by another dog. Like I just, my mind, I'm like, I can do a recall. But <laughs> so when you're like, okay, you, we're going in and seeing what they do that day. You have an idea. How do you approach that? If it's something that you've never trained before, do you like Google for plans or do you just like, how, how do you even get the steps together in your head when you're approaching this wholly new pro, pro, you know, problem? Oof, yeah. So for that one specifically, it was, believe it or not, kind of easy uh, because now this kind of goes back to the more you teach your dog, the easier it is for them to learn stuff. Because in our house, if I get anything, if I take an object, this is the lens to my um, fisheye lens, whatever. If I take this and put it on the floor, my dogs will start to interact with it. So they've learned in our house, if I give you a prop, do something. Um, And so they each have their own kind of thing that they do with it. Miles is probably going to jump over it <laughs> on it. And so I kind of know their, their go-tos and ruckus, her go-to is shove your face into it or put your nose against it and hold it there. Um, because we've done a lot of hand targeting. We've done a lot of sustained hand targets. We've done a lot of stuff like that. We've done a lot of cooperative care, which, you know, that's technically tricks to the dogs in our, it's not tricks to me. It's very important to me, but they think it's tricks. So. Um, Yeah. So for her, I knew that if I offered her a trumpet, probably she would investigate it in some way. Maybe she would sniff at it. So I just um, start really small, start by offering it and any amount of interaction with it in this type of way I kind of want them to do it in the future. I'm going to reward that. So that's kind of where it breaks down to make it super easy. That's something that I think a lot of people are like, my dog can't do anything, but you're asking too much. Make it really, really easy to begin with because also that's fun. You know, if I sit down and my dog throws a paw in the air and I toss a trick, a treat, they're like, oh my God, okay, that's what we're doing. I'll do anything. So it makes it fun. It makes it easy. But for the trumpet, I, I knew that if I offered it to her, she would probably put her nose on it. And then it would be just a matter of me rewarding that and then building up the duration by just leaving the trumpet out there longer and then waiting longer to mark it. That again goes back to, does your dog understand to continue with the behavior until they hear the marker, um, which just comes with more training. And then I just transferred it. I put it on to Diego and I would kind of point at it. And then I slowly increased how far away I was from it, which is kind of how I do every trick with my dogs. Hmm. My dogs are really smart. So (laughs) (laughs) I think you're the smart one. (laughs) 
I, that's too much credit for me. Cause literally sometimes I get down there and I'm like, what do you want to do today? Miles? And he'll throw something out. I'm like, Oh great. That's kind of fun. And then he creates his own trick. And I just think it's the best thing ever. And really, I think tricks make people fall in love with their dogs even more, because if you look at your dog doing something physically cute, it's like you're swooning over how smart and cute and lovely your dog is. And when they make their thinking faces, this is another reason I love teaching tricks to my dogs. When my dogs are thinking, they kind of all do the same face with their chin a little bit down, their eyes up, their ears really perked. That sends me every time. That is the cutest thing in the world. When my dogs are like, what are we doing? What are we doing next? And then they do. (laughs) I love that. That's awesome. So cute. (laughs) Okay. So, um, sort of, I I think this is, um, one point you mentioned, I think you were having a thunderstorm and Ruckus was upset and you started to do her nails, um, because that's an activity that gives her a lot of joy. And I like, aside from just being like, wow, an activity that gives your dog, like that you've done nails so well that the, like my dogs all tolerate the puppies enjoy nails. My dogs all tolerate nails to get the treat. You know, they, they wouldn't be like, I don't even need the treat anymore. I just love getting my nails done. Like that does not describe my dogs at all, right? They'll they'll be like, okay, you can do it, but there has to be a lot of cheese. So <laughs> that made me think, I wonder like, because you've taught so many tricks and not just with your own dogs, but with your clients as well. Have you ever had a time where you trained a trick just for a trick? And then later, wow, it came in really useful for a behavior problem. Yes, I'm sure more than I can even think of now, but um, a couple similar to what you mentioned actually with ruckus or with my other dogs is I do that at the vet a lot. Now I've worked also separately on making the vet a more fun place. I have two dogs, especially who were super vet phobic. And, but, um, what I do at the vet is I use my tricks. If we're waiting in the lobby, I don't want, or waiting in the exam room. There's all the smells from all the dogs who are scared or, you know, lots of noise. Um, and, history there. Um, I don't want to just sit there with my dogs kind of stewing in that anxiety, the building anxiety or me stewing in that building anxiety, which happens a lot. Um, and so I can do tricks that they love to do. And you're right. There's stuff that just brings my dogs joy or dogs joy that I think is so important to give them that daily or every once in a while, my dogs really like performing tricks and you can see it on their face and you can see it when they're in the middle of the trick, Diego and his backup trick. I'm going to talk. That's one that's been a big help, but giving them something to do that kind of takes their mind off of the scary possible scary thing or the scary thing that's about to happen and shakes it off a little bit physically. I mean, just like with people though, if you shake it off, you know, you can feel better instead of being so tense. So I use it at the vet all the time. When we're waiting, we do sit pretties, we do spin, we do take a bow, we do all kinds of stuff. Super fun. For Diego specifically, that has come in handy so much. So I've taught him a lot of cues, a lot of behaviors and tricks where he moves through space physically with just a verbal cue. So I don't have to touch him or do it with the leash. He's big. So for people who don't know my dogs, my crew, I have a 65 ish pound dog that's Diego and then 20 ish pound miles and then 10 or 11 ish pound old, sometimes frail ruckus who does not enjoy physical contact with Diego. And Diego is a beautiful, wonderful idiot. And he's not very coordinated all the time. And so he can easily step on her, bump into her. And she does not like that, obviously. So what I've taught him a lot is instead of me pushing him or whatever, or her just going after him is if he's getting a little too close, I just cue him to back up back up, back up. He loves to back up. That's he loves that trick. And so I just get him to back up out of the way. 
I use that on leash as well. He is always on a waist leash while my little dogs are on my, in my hand. So if he's getting a little tangled or he's kind of encroaching on Rekka sniffing and might bump into her, which might send her into biting him, then I just cue him to back up, which just helps. I don't have to pull him with the leash. It really helps a lot. Um, I use backup a lot with him. He thinks it's great. Do you find like, I think you probably were alluding to this a little bit before about your dog's sort of preferred ways of interacting with an object that you put down, but do you find that your dogs do fine and then like run with your dogs have things that they like to do with their bodies already? And, it, and it's separate between dogs. Yeah, definitely. I think Ruckus is up for anything. So she's a little different. Uh, literally, Ruckus will do anything, anytime. She's up for a party. Diego really prefers the methodical, slow, precise tricks. So he is much, he's really fun to teach the stuff like slowly cross your paws and hold them there. Now slowly do this. Now sl- he, that's, he's really good at that. The, uh, Miles is really good at the fast tricks. He loves the jumping tricks. He loves the physical tricks where he can jump over things or under things or into arms. He, he's really fast. He likes those kinds of things. Um, they can all learn, you know, everybody can learn everything, but, um, yeah, they definitely have their preferences in that sense. I was thinking about that because a little while ago, the Academy did this research project where we were, we're we're comparing training methods for efficiency, you know, free shaping versus prompt fate. And one of the things we taught was, um, having the dogs put their feet up on a box, an elbow height box. And I, we were just testing the plans out before we started recruiting people. Even we were just testing the plans out. Um, and I free shape timber and I barely ever free shape. So I'm not that great at it. And also I don't do a lot of trick training with my dogs. And so timber hasn't, he had quite a bit of training when I was a student in the academy. So like in the Pleistocene. So I, so I tried it with timber, I free shaping this two paws up on a box and he did it in like five minutes. And I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't expect that to happen. Right. Because I'm not super proficient and timber's not super drainery. And, you know, but we did it. And I was like, okay, this plan, everyone's going to have no problem with this plan. Um, turns out it's actually quite hard to train with some dogs. I'm like, I, did, I trained another dog on it and she didn't even get a single paw on the box, like in 45 minutes. So, and I'm like, wow, this is something is really different. <laughs> And then I started thinking about Timber. He really likes to use his feet. Like he slaps the cat and balls and and stamps a lot, you know? And I think he's like, he likes using his feet for stuff. And I was, so it made me think, oh, I wonder if there's like, you know, if we could start seeing those kind of correlations, like he likes doing X. So he's going to be more likely to do it at all. But, you know, especially in a free shape scenario where they're kind of like, you know, throwing stuff out. Yeah, actually that kind of same with us is that Diego, he's also a more sensitive dog. And that's something to always consider too, with dogs is where, you know, what's their confidence level basically, but Diego is a much more sensitive dog. And so he's, he is going to be longer to free shape for things. And I need to be really precise and reinforce quickly and do all, because otherwise he's like, I'll give up. I don't know anything. I'm going to just go into my crate. So I have to be really careful with him to make sure he is enjoying it. And he's not just like, this is the worst thing. So, um, and he also is more likely to possibly do paw stuff versus pick something up. Whereas Miles, I mean, Miles will offer so many tricks, but he's also very likely to pick stuff up. So like with his mouth versus if he put his paws on it. So, um, although also, you know, if you teach your dog something really well today, and then next week you try to teach something new, they're probably going to repeat the one they just learned. And so Miles 
when he learned to back up onto a box, which was the prep for like handstands and stuff like that. So his favorite thing in the world, no matter what, if I put something behind him, he will back up forever with one leg, just searching for something to put his ball on. So that's also something that he can do very easily. So silly. That's yeah. awesome. Fantastic. And we've been talking a lot about dogs so far, but you're also a cat person. I mean, all of us here also love cats as, as well as dogs. And you take cat cases for behavior consults and you do cat training. So these days, there's really an increasing awareness that cats can actually be trained. And I think teaching cats tricks is just as good for cats as it is for dogs. It's a nice, fun enrichment activity, especially if your cat is indoors only. So what are your tips for training cats? Yes, I really wish people, more people would teach their cat stuff because again, it goes back to people going, oh, my cat's so smart. Oh my God. I love my cat so much. They can do all this stuff and it's cute and flashy and fun. Um, so a couple things for cats is number one, train where they like to be train where they prefer to be. I think something that happens a lot maybe is that people go, well, I train my dog in the living room or on the kitchen floor. So my cat needs to come down and get down here and train with me. If your cat likes to be on the kitchen table or they have a perch on the wall, get up there and do a little hand targeting back and forth, do some spins in their preferred place to be as long as they're comfortable with you approaching them and doing that there. Eventually they'll come down and ask for more training other places, but just train where they like to be rather than, you know, moving them wherever you normally train your dog. Although that goes for your dog too, just train where they prefer to be. But a um, couple other things too is kind of test out multiple types of reinforcers. So cats do learn the same way as dogs, but they may not prefer the same type of reinforcer or the same type of reinforcement delivery. So instead of giving the treat to the cat, maybe you put the treat down or maybe you toss the treat so the cat can go and hunt it out. Although I wish people would do that more with dogs too. That's something I always recommend is change the delivery of the reinforcer. You can make it much more exciting for the animal of any kind. So for the cat, test out different things. Do they really love to be chin scratched or brushed or um, snuggled with? Or do they really love the lickable? The churu cat treats are so fantastic. Or do they prefer the crunchy ones? Or what does the cat prefer? A quick game of, you know, chasing something. Test out all those different things. Do it with your dog too. That helps too, but for cats especially. And again, changing the, the way you deliver that reinforcer can make a huge difference. I have had people go, oh no, they don't like that treat. Mm, do they not like it or do they not like it from your hand? Because maybe that's a bit weird for them. So put it down or toss it, put it on a plate, whatever you need to do, test it out. So offer freebies first is super important. Don't ask for all kinds of stuff right from the start. Remember, I said at the beginning that dogs, the more dogs learn, the easier it is for them to learn new stuff. Most of our cats have never been trained a day in their life. They have no idea what the training game is all about, how to earn reinforcers in a training situation. So we really want to start really, really easy and teach them, well, if you touch my finger, which is literally right in front of your nose, and you probably would touch it anyway, if I presented it, I'll give you a treat. If you stand up with your paws up in the air, which you would already do anyways, because it's one of your normal natural behaviors. I'll give you a treat for it. Now we have a cat who goes, Ooh, okay. I can maybe manipulate this environment a little bit. Maybe I can put my paws up. Does that give me something? Maybe I can jump up here. Now we have a cat offering behavior to possibly attain reinforcement. Then we can start asking for a little more complex stuff, but 
stuff that's not complex for cats is spin. I love to teach cats spin. Um, sit pretty is so cute for cats. And I love that one. You have to be quick in your reinforcing your lure and then quickly removing it before they claw at you. But um, <laughs> you need to do if you're fast. Yeah, I've noticed that. Melina has a habit of clawing at me to get the treats when, when she's doing that. You have to be quick. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're so right too that most cats have never been trained before and it makes such a, a difference really because when you're working with a dog, well, they've typically been trained ever since they were a tiny, tiny puppy. So they've got this long history of, of doing behaviours and, and then getting treats and, and we have to teach cats to get started with that really. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's just as simple, just like I said, the dogs, it's just as simple as maybe just teaching them how to follow a lure. If cats have never been trained before and you start trying to lure them into a spin, they're going to be like, what, what, what is this? Why are you taking the food away? So teach them how to follow a lure. Literally, if your cat is nervous or they've never trained before and whatever, they're having a hard time, just start by having them take a step by following the lure with one step and give them a treat for it. Sometimes people are hesitant to do that because maybe they feel like they're treating too much. Who cares? They need to eat. It's fun for them to get food. You're going to build their trust and confidence like really fast if you are really generous with the food. And then you're going to be able to teach those advanced and more complex tricks later. And then it'll pay off later. You're not going to be always giving a treat for every step your cat takes. So be generous in the always, but be generous in the beginning, especially. I loved all of those tips. And I think we could talk about tricks all day long, but we probably should move on to the next section. So we've got a couple of news items and then we're going to talk about books. So first of all, Christy, you had some exciting news about your courses recently. Yeah, so I have three online courses um, and a couple more in the works. Um, And they recently were sort of awarded CEUs, both for the Pet Professional Accreditation Board, um, which is for the, the accreditation arm of the PPG, um, and then the Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainers. So there's CEs available now for people who work through my, my courses. So that was exciting. Fantastic. That's great news. And the link to that will be in the show notes, along with links to Erica's courses and website as well. Um, and I have a news item too, because next in September, I'm going to be teaching an afternoon workshop for the IAABC Foundation on making pets happy. And it's about both dogs and cats, how to make them happy. And it's about both because there are a lot of us like us who work with both species. But also, I feel like you can learn more about one species also when you're comparing them to another. I think it's really helpful to know about both species. So the details of that are on the IAABC Foundation website, and that will be on September 24th. And so we'll move on to books and I'm going to start with the Animal Book Club choice and then I'll be asking each of you to share what you're reading at the moment. So this month, the Animal Book Club is reading Bitch on the Female of the Species by Lucy Cook. And it is absolutely fantastic. It's really fascinating. It basically starts from the argument that most of the research on animals has been very biased because it's come from a male perspective and it has been looking for things like dominance amongst males of any species, whatever species that scientists happen to be looking at, and has not paid enough attention to the female of the species. And it's a really fantastic read. And it's got all kinds of different animals in it, like um, hyenas and spiders and so on. And so all about 
sex amongst animals and it even has something towards the end about menopause and so on and it's it's just a really fascinating read and I think for anyone who has had to sit through biology psychology or zoology classes with a very sexist professor who has been all about how males are the best and females of whatever species are not much good it's the perfect antidote to that so that's bitch by lucy cook and it's a really really interesting read and that's what the animal book club is reading in august and so erica i'm going to turn to you next and ask you to share with us a book that you've enjoyed reading recently i thought about trying to um look smart and have a different book but I'm not going to do that. So the most recent book I finished was this one. I've got you under my skin. I love Mary Higgins Clark. I love everything she writes. I love a crime book. I love a whodunit. I love a mystery novel. I love a trash. I read this in like three days on vacation. It's so fun. And this is, um, I think there's like three or four books in the series. So this was the book that I really enjoyed and that I finished most recently. Excellent. Thank you. Is that the first in the series or, or one later on? I think it's the second. That's a good question. I think it's the second. Brilliant. Thank you. And we'll put that in the show notes too. Christy, what are you reading? Okay, so I just started this. My niece, um, we, we started talking about books she's reading and she told me she's reading this book. So I just took it out of the library to listen to. It's called Warriors in the Wild. And I think it's, what I'm getting so far is that it's about like, it's like a sci-fi fantasy world where there's like packs of cats who have magical abilities and they're like warring over territory and stuff <laughs> so that's what i've just started haven't got that far into it but there's it's a little bit gory i'm kind of like really this is what you're reading <laughs> but we'll, we'll have to see who wins is it going to be the thundercats is it going to be one of the other packs i, I don't know cool so warriors in the wild and who is that by um i actually think Okay, there is an author's name. Oh, hold on. Uh, Aaron Hunter. But I think it's actually, it's one of those things that it's written by a collaborative of people. And they, they just keep writing more and more. I think it's very young adult readers, maybe. Yeah. Cool. Fantastic. So you're reading about cats. And this is my <laughs> book that I'm reading. Also with a cat, a magical cat. The Cat Who Saved Books, a novel by Sasuke Natsukawa. And it's in translation, translated by Louise Hill Kawai. And it's about a boy who's who lives with his granddad who runs a bookstore that sells secondhand books, but the granddad has just passed. And then this cat appears, a talking tabby cat appears in his bookstore and he has to go on quests with the cat to help rescue books um so it has a talking cat and it's about a love of books so what's not to love about this book basically and it's also got a kind of young love story interwoven in there and a lot about the value of books and it's just it's just really fun I mean the talking cat is what got me (laughs) into it Um, and it's it's a very nice nice read I just sat down and read it quite quickly so it's it's just keeps you going through the through the plot and through all these different adventures to rescue and save all the books so that's really fun fun read too so I will put the details of the books in the show notes Erica thank you so much for joining us today it's been so much fun to chat with you where should people go if they want to learn more about you 
Well, I actually just scheduled a class coming up for September 17th, 3 p.m. I'm going to do take uh, take a selfie. It's an hour-long boredom buster, so super fun. That can be found at a amatterofmannersdogtraining.com. And then you'll just go to the classes page and then the homeschooled hounds page. So you could go amatterofmannersdogtraining.com slash homeschooled hounds. Um, you can find me at Facebook, a matter of manners or Instagram, a matter of manners, dog training. Um, that's pretty much it. I, yeah, I try to post cute stuff on social media. So, um, probably not going to find too many serious tips. Maybe you will, maybe you won't, but that's where you can find me. Definitely find lots of cute videos. (laughs) There's a very important final question for me. Considering Archer is slightly large, will I be able to put him onto my shoulder? It's, I was literally just thinking as Ozzy was finishing, I was literally just thinking about about Archer doing the trick. So I think that's a really good question. And there are modifications. So for him, because he's enormous, I don't know if the people watching this know about Archer, he is (laughs) like monstrously huge for five-ish months old. I, I can't wrap my head around it. So yeah, I think what we would probably do for him is like a chin rest on your shoulder, which would be very cute. But the paws would be cute because they're so big. Oh, it would be I'd so, need, so I'd cute. I need like shoulder pads. Oh, an itch. Shoulder pads. Chin rest on your head. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's it. That's what we're doing. <laughs> that is what we're doing. Oh, man, I love that. That will be very cute. So that will be your new promo photo, Christy. That would be perfect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we have to. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so that yeah that will be great so everyone will be looking out for this photo in due course and I definitely will be signing up for your your class on taking a selfie that's brilliant thank you so much and I'll put those details in the show notes as well Christy where do people go to learn about your courses uh christybenson.com so perfect thank you and I'm at companionanimalpsychology.com and my books wagon per are in all good bookstores So thanks again. And if you're watching this, please hit the subscribe button so that you will know whenever we have a new show. And thanks for joining us today. Bye. 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 Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Positive Posting Conversation. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the show and write us a review via your podcast app. For the show notes, visit companionanimalpsychology.com. This show was produced by Zazie Todd. The music is Melody from Paris by Studio Le Boost. See you next time. Mm-hmm.